Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. All right, folks, welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports. We've got a busy day. This is a first for John Solomon Reports. We have three consecutive guests, not one, not two, but three, and they're all blockbuster guests. I feel so lucky to have uh, what we're, uh, the folks here today to do what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, so we're not going to do a monologue. We're not going to go through headlines today, though I do encourage you to take a look at the story I broke uh, last night uh, on the new Devin Nunes report, House Intelligence Republicans releasing a report laying out uh, what they call a substantial circumstantial evidence case that COVID-19 emanated from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, like we've been reporting for almost a year at Just the News. The evidence gets bigger and better. One of the big revelations, there were a group of scientists at that lab who came down sick with COVID-19 symptoms in October of 2019. Uh, that's never been explained. There are some other incredible revelations, but those of us who reported and were silenced by social media, by the big government health experts who told us, no, this evolved in the wire. We wild. We now know that the theory of a lab leak is on equal footing with the wild evolution theory. It wasn't a year ago when Donald Trump was president, when he was suggesting it, it was poo-pooed. We were lied to. This was always a viable therapy. The Lawrence Livermore Lab in May of 2020 wrote a report that remains classified. We're fighting to get it unclassified, but uh, it goes into uh, uh, the idea that both scenarios were legitimate in May. They're becoming more legitimate to the credit of the Biden administration. Anthony Blinken and Avril Haines of DNI are admitting that this is one of the two plausible theories, but for a whole year, the media, the science establishment, and others tried to suppress this angle. You got to take a look at what Devin Nunez wrote in this report. We got a big story out there. I explain it in a big uh, evolutionary way, how it happened, how it was carried out, all of the uh, gimmicks and other things that were done, the head fakes to keep a, uh, the true story from coming to light. Uh, and it's on the website and you can download as you can with every story of ours, download the raw materials. You can see what Devin Nunez wrote. You don't need to take my word for it, we always try to be transparent. We put those things in the dig in uh, section of our story. In my story, I think there's about 20 links there for you to do your own research. You can make up your own mind, but check that out. All right, we're gonna go a quick commercial break. When we come back, my great colleague, uh, Sophie Mann, who's got a wonderful TV show every morning, 
on Real America's Voice, the TV network you can see on channel 219 on Dish Network, channel 240 on Pluto, on all the different apps. There's a Roku app for it. There's an iOS and an Android app. Watch Real America's Voice. They're our partner. They're, they are the Fox News of the cable cutting generation. They're fantastic. Sophie Mann had Devin Nunez to talk about this report we broke. You're going to want to hear what he has to say when we come back. Devin Nunez is going to be our guest. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, welcome back from the commercial break. As promised, we're going to throw right now to the great interview that Sophie Mann did with Devin Nunez this morning on Just the News AM, our show on Real America's Voice. This is about the report we just talked about before the commercial break. Listen to what Devin Nunez had to say as he was talking uh, with our great host and great reporter, Sophie Mann. Joining me now is the ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Devin Nunez. Congressman, how are you? It's great to be with you this morning. So, Congressman, you've recently released this new uh, report about the coronavirus and its connection to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Can you tell us a little bit about the report and why you felt the need to write it? Well, this is part of a long ongoing investigation that goes back nearly a decade now. And it's really the Republicans have been trying to highlight for the American people the growing threat of China, specifically the Chinese Communist Party. And what really I would I think most people concur. This is really essentially a dictatorship with a Politburo system underneath that. And what, so this report that I, that I have right here in my hands that we would encourage people to go and read and take their time, it's probably uh, a, the type of report that American people would find interesting because it's what we know right now at this time, which is a lot of circumstantial evidence that points to a lab leak where we have zero zero circumstantial evidence that this was from some Chinese dude that ate a bat at a wet market. We have no evidence of that other than who? Chinese Communist Party propaganda putting that out, which I think makes it more unbelievable at this point. Right. And uh, we know very well, obviously, based on a lot of the work that you and your committee do, that there is just pretty much no chance we should be trusting any of the information that comes out of China. So what this report does is it raises a number of pretty significant questions about the way that information surrounding the coronavirus and its origins has been disseminated and treated uh, since late last year. Um, so, I mean, what, one point uh, about this report is that toward the end, you sort of broadly ask the United States intelligence community to respond to a number of questions about the way, again, that information about the virus was circulated and how now this report is, uh, is based on a lot of open source intelligence information, which means people have access to it that, you know, just about a year ago was called crazy when it was uh, circulated in the public and was actively denied by certain members of the intelligence community. So talk a little bit about the relationship between information about this virus and uh, the log lines we've been given by the intelligence community over the course of the last year. Well, I'd like to take the viewer back to 
Chinatown in San Francisco right when this virus had started and the accusations that somehow Republicans were racist and that we were going against people uh, that happened to be from Asia. Nancy Pelosi was in San Francisco encouraging people to come out to the streets to not be afraid. Well, wow, how times have changed. And what you saw at that time, if you go back and you look throughout the last year, specifically Director Ratcliffe and others that, are, that, that have been out there within the IC, saying, look, something doesn't make sense here. I, I still believe that there's a lot of intelligence that we have not been provided on the Intelligence Committee. So what it forced us to do, essentially, is to go and look and collect, as you said, all of the open source intelligence that exists, put it all in a report to build a roadmap for the American people to have a good understanding of where do we sit a year plus after this after this virus was uh, was essentially spreading throughout the globe where it's killed millions of people. And also a set of questions, there's 25 specific questions that we're asking to the intelligence uh, community to answer for the American people. And the sooner we know this, the better we're off we're all gonna be. I think it's time that we end this politicization throughout the government of just because Republicans or Donald Trump says something, they build a narrative and they go with it and it doesn't go in their favor. And then they try to correct the course of history. We're not going to have any of that. That's why we're putting out this report. Obviously we have our suspicions that everything is pointing to the Wuhan uh, lab. And well, so uh, Congressman, in terms of those suspicions, are you at this point aware of any classified information that lends to those suspicions? Any information that you have that confirms that the virus in fact may have come from the lab? Well, no, I think just the opposite. And that, that therein lies the problem, that there is no classified information whatsoever. And it's a little bit pathetic with the billions of dollars that we, that we spend on our intelligence agencies, not to mention the whole of government, you know, from the State Department to everywhere else, where we have very specific information that we have people in our own government who, and this is in the report that you, that you can go and look at, we had people within our own government, the State Department, who went to the lab who actually said, look, this is a, this, this, the safety at this lab is problematic. I think right there mm -hmm. is a smoking gun that clearly people should have taken that in today's world and said, we, what do we know? We know we can't trust anything that comes out of the Chinese. We did, they didn't let us conduct a real investigation. They didn't let us get people on the ground there. And then we know, so all we can go after and, and from is when we did have people on the ground there, they were raising these real concerns. And I think the odds just the odds that all of this activity was going. We had real evidence from, from folks that were on the ground. When you match that up with all of the propaganda around it, it makes it kind of, it really points to a lab leak. It doesn't hmm. mean, look, this is, this is an ongoing investigation. We don't know that, but I mean, that's what we believe right now is the best evidence that we have is trying to get to the bottom of whether or not this was a lab leak or not. And that's the only trail that we have. We do not have a trail to go and hunt down a Chinese dude that ate a bat. It just doesn't exist. Right. So and you're asking people of, of open source intelligence mm -hmm. where we have we have we know the people that got sick first, at least they were in the vicinity of the mm -hmm. lab. If not, they were actually working at the lab. So just asking the intelligence community then to investigate what you see as the likeliest uh, the likeliest path for this virus. So one 
one part of the report that I found to be really uh, interesting and stimulating, and of course I encourage viewers to go take a look at the report for themselves, was the gain of function section of the report. So ga the gain of function research is, as described by the report, uh, precisely the type of research that could lead to d the development of a virus that could attack humans and jump from humans to humans in the exact way that we've seen the coronavirus do over the past 18 months or so. And what the report uh, stipulates is that the United States, and specifically United States uh, agencies being directed by Dr. Fauci, were uh, supplying funding to uh, China and a variety of other places to conduct this exact type of research, which was at some point, I believe in 2017, quickly stopped. Last week, Dr. Fauci told Senator Rand Paul that, to the best of his knowledge, the United States had never funded any type of gain-of-function research. Congressman, do you believe Dr. Fauci when he said that? Well, look, we know this much. A whole lot of money went to a, a nonprofit of EcoHealth. It doesn't mean that all that money, $100 million, it doesn't mean it all went to China, so I don't want to over-exaggerate this, but I think, look, we're over a year past the, the time that this virus uh, was spreading globally. Why would Fauci not know the answer to this? And that's the question, that's a simple question that needs to be, that needs to be answered. Uh, and look, there are, there's always good things that come from research, but to knowingly, if we knowingly were sending money where we know, and this is in the report also, where the, where the Communist Party, where the People's Liberation Army, the army that protects the Communist Party, we know they're trying to develop biological weapons. And Fauci ought to know this right now. Fauci ought to be able to come out and be unequivocal that, there, that nothing happened, that, this, that, that no money that would have flowed from the government, from the US government treasury through grants to nonprofits ended up in, at the Wuhan lab. And if it did, we should have a full accounting of it. So it seems like there's like a lot of things with Fauci that where one day he says, no masks are required. Then he, then he just remind people, then he says, oh no, no, we have to wear masks. Then he gets caught out in an open space, not even wearing his mask. And then later he comes back and says, well, no, you have to wear two masks. And now we sit in the chaos of today where uh, the United States Senate, they have not been wearing masks on the floor. And as you know, the average age of senators is much older than, than congressmen. But on the House of Representatives, we're still wearing masks. And we've got the Socialist Democrats, you know, essentially co-opting the physician to say, oh, yeah, I mean, think about this. The physician here, they say they're following the science, but I guess only the U.S. House of Representatives is vulnerable. And I guess U.S. senators are not. Not to mention the fact that that only certain types of masks even work mm -hmm. at all to protect against against viruses, and most of the masks that people have been wearing are are, are not capable of of stopping any type of virus. Mm. You would have to wear a clean, perfect uh, N95 mask or better to even have an impact. And I think what we're doing, we're spreading mass uh, confusion across the, across the country. Mm -hmm. when, and the reality is, is, is a lot of states, most states, and if you're in the Beltway or if you're in a big blue city uh, run by socialist Democrats or the state of California, uh, people have been thinking that masks are protecting them, but the numbers don't show that. In right. fact, states that, states that had no mask requirements are actually in some cases doing even better. Yeah, I and think of course, that, we know uh... one of the most populous and growing states, Florida, they ripped the mask mandate off a long time ago.
True. So many, many states facing the, um, the reality of some of the inconsistencies coming from people like Dr. Fauci and Democrats in charge uh, over the close course of the COVID pandemic. Congressman, thank you so much for taking the time this morning. We really appreciate uh, you stopping by and everybody go check out the report. It's interesting and really does raise some pertinent questions. All right, folks, how about that? That was a pretty good interview. Sophie, man, great journalist. If you don't follow her show, you're making a big mistake. It is great. It's great television, great interviews. You see how smart she is in questioning and working with Devin Nunez. You saw uh, what Congressman Nunez revealed on the show. That's really valuable journalism. We're not doing gotcha journalism. We're having a conversation. We're giving you facts, letting you make up your own mind. Uh, and uh, Sophie's a big part of our effort to do that. Check out her show every morning. It's 9 o'clock on Real America's Voice, channel 219 on DISH, channel 230 on the Pluto over the air network. You can get it on Roku. You can get it on iOS. You can get it on Android, the America's Voice, Real America's Voice app. Go check it out and watch Sophie. Great show. And also, we've got our other good colleague, David Brody. He's got a show on at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, take a look at that as well. Two great shows Two great conversations about the news, always breaking news, always remaining neutral, always uh, keeping you in mind, letting you make up your mind with facts that we try to give you. All right, we're going to go to commercial break. When we come back, Alex Marlowe, the editor-in-chief of Breitbart News and the author of a, literally, an explosive bombshell book, Breaking the News. You're going to want to hear about this book. He has done enormous research into the corrupting ties, corporate corrupting ties, political corrupting ties of mainstream news media. You do not want to miss this interview coming up right after this commercial break. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only fourteen ninety-five. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest. Now, a lot of times we talk about bias in the news media, and there's plenty of it to go around, factual errors, plenty of that to go around. But we're going to take on a different topic today in the news media, and that is outright corruption, conflicts of interest, corrupt business deals, business deals with foreign leaders, things that have been hidden from the public until our next guest dug in. And his name is Alex Marlowe. You probably all know him as the editor-in-chief of Breitbart News. He also has a fantastic radio show on Sirius XM on the Patriot Channel. Uh, and now he has a new book that is a must read. I seriously, you, you have to read this. It's a, I, I thought I knew a lot about the news media. I knew nothing until I read what Alex had done. Breaking the News, Exposing the Establishment Media's Hidden Deals and Secret Corruption. Alex Marlowe is joining the show today. Alex, welcome here. Uh, John, so happy to be with you. And I have to say, I hate that this is true, but you're you're one of the few journalists I actually respect. I wish oh, that wasn't a true statement, you. but it is. But it is a true statement. Uh, and I've always enjoyed when when you've been on my show. So it's great to be on. Yeah, your always honored. Well, listen, what I love about this book, you know, we, at Just the News, we have this thing called Dig In, and all the notebook uh, of the reporter is exposed to the media. So when they read our story, if they don't, they, we're not asking you to trust us, you can go look at yourself. 
This book has 1,200 endnotes. It is meticulously factually cited and researched. What a great piece. Tell us the top line. When you did all this work, and you've been in the media for a long time, so you have your own sort of perception, what was your top line when you walked away having done all the great research you did? Yeah, I decided I wanted to take on a, a book when I saw something happening during the Trump era that was new in terms of media. They were becoming much more overt with the fact that they were weaponized against the uh, America first conservative, the populist nationalists and the conservative movement. Uh, Trump just triggered them in such a way that I saw some things changing. But when I started to dig in, John, what became interesting is a lot of the dots I connected showed, and I know this is something that you dug into a lot over the years, a lot of corporate corruption and a lot of corruption between the biggest businesses in the world and the biggest government entities in the world. And that was something that was really mind blowing to me. And I get into a lot of that detail and I show that to call it to call the media liberal bias or having a liberal bias. Sure. But it's so far beyond that now. Now these are people that go to work every day setting an agenda on behalf of the biggest, the biggest businesses and sometimes the most authoritarian regimes on the planet. And I got 1,200 endnotes to back up my thesis. Yeah, it is remarkable. It, it is absolutely remarkable. Now, before we get more into the book, because I can't wait to get into the findings, there's so many real jaw droppers in here. Uh, let's wind back a little bit because you and I share uh, a common friend in the past, Andrew Breitbart. When I was sure. editor of uh, the Washington Times, he wrote a great column for me called Big Hollywood that I think gave rise to a lot of what Andrew went on to do. And of course, he's been gone now for several years, but you had this great relationship with him. He trusted you with this incredible product. He left behind Breitbart News. Talk a little bit about Andrew and his mentoring and, and what it did for your career. I've truly been a blessed individual, and I've come into contact with some of the best journalists of our time, and I've got to be friends with them, be mentored by some of them, um, which is just a, it, it's great fortune that I met Andrew Breitbart when I was in college. Uh, I was a Drudge Report super fan, and so I was familiar with the name Breitbart um, <laughs> when because Andrew had these news wires that he would syndicate and right. he put them up on Drudge when he was editing Drudge. And so I thought uh, that Andrew must have, you know, a building in Dusseldorf with thousands of journalists cranking out all these articles. No, it was one guy in his basement in Hollywood who was just indicating all of these really interesting news stories and putting them all in one place. And then when I realized that, I thought, OK, this guy's good. And then when I talked to him, I realized he was also hilarious, very in tune with the culture and utterly fearless. And it just so happened we happened to be neighbors. So it was sort of a match made in heaven for a young conservative. <laughs> what are the chances? Uh, yeah, exactly. And so I became his first employee, and I started as a gopher and sort of a glorified editorial assistant. And uh, now I've got to be the head honcho for a while, and we're doing amazing work. Yes, you are. You do amazing work. And uh, it's so fun to, you know, there used to be in the old, old days of the news industry, the 20s and 30s, you'd start as a paper boy, then you'd work as a, a printing press and you'd work your way into the newsroom. And you, you worked your way all the way through the different jobs at Breitbart. And now, you know, they're lucky enough to have you, you running in Breitbart. Andrew was such an interesting character. He was so full of energy and so full of passion. And I think 15 years ago, I would say he saw the era that we're in now, he saw it coming, this cancer culture, um, yeah. almost a Marxist way of silencing any dissent in America. And uh, I look back and now at things he said to me or he wrote at the time and I go, darn, he had a crystal ball. I didn't know, but somewhere in that basement, he also had a crystal ball. And I, I think he, you know, we, we look at the moment we're in now and we go, 
how did the, how did we get to this in the greatest free speech sure. organ in the world? Um, so some of the things that really uh, that really strike me in the book, uh, talk about some of the ties you found between the Chinese government and, of course, the, the mainstream media. It's so funny you ask that because I was actually going through anticipating that question and I was looking <laughs> yeah. at all my See, you're a good reporter. You anticipate even when you're the interviewee. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I thought, I think Solomon's going to ask me about uh, all the China connections. And I went through it. There's like 60 pages in the book wow. where China cited, but it's not in one block. Right. It's throughout the book. China's imprint in the American media is huge. And it is most evident, though, in the case of Bloomberg News, and this is where I focus a lot of my reporting specifically because of this. I, I did three deep dive investigations in the book, the New York Times, because they, they've been the most influential uh, of the establishment outlets during the Trump years, uh, NBC News, because that's been the voice of the resistance, the right. sort of hysterical anti-Trump crowd, sure. uh, and Bloomberg specifically because of the China ties. Now, what people don't get about Bloomberg is they employ 20,000 journalists. That's yeah. more than the Wall Street Journal, CNN, and the New York Times combined. Yeah, and they make more about than the AP, billion. too. Yeah, they're bigger than the yeah. AP. Yeah. It revenue $10 billion a year. So that wow. dwarfs Fox and CNN combined. And um, everyone on Wall Street depends on Bloomberg. That's the filter. They get financial news, and they sell these terminals, which are very expensive, 20 grand a pop or so. Uh, and and th they have access to the Chinese market. Now, I was looking into how they get access and how they maintain it. And I uncovered these photos of these apparently very happy and joyful meetings of Bloomberg executives and literal propagandists, the ministers of propaganda in Beijing that are pressing the flesh and having to sit down and talking about how to uh, uh, cooperate between American and Chinese media how to introduce China and Chinese stories into the American media. And lo and behold, Bloomberg continues to get access renewed to this gigantic market. And meanwhile, we all know all the nice things Bloomberg says about Beijing and Xi Jinping and the Chinese people. Uh, and all of this stuff is a major business model. And I don't think people understand that arguably the biggest news outlet on planet Earth has been going to Beijing on a routine basis, meeting with propagandists and figuring out ways to work together. And this guy is one of the biggest funders of the Democrat Party. Yeah, no, they, and you know, I, 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 I've been a student of uh, of the the Chinese strategy, which is very impressive. When you look at, they're patient. They have a long term lens. They don't panic about short term moments. They stay on course. And one of their goals was to co opt America through the business community to be, make America so dependent on Chinese uh, imports, on uh, Chinese capital markets, on Ch and, and investments. And uh, what better way to carry out that strategy than to have the premier financial news uh, outlet in America uh, in a position of always kind of taking the Chinese opportunity and selling it to the American market. Uh, when you when you look back at their coverage, how do you? Uh, all right, so you, now you have the you have the ties. You've got the photos. Sure. You've got the the meetings, the dates, the times. When you look at Bloomberg's coverage, were they sort of a rah-rah for the Chinese-American business alliance? So here's the thing that's interesting is we don't – the answer, of course, is yes. But the, we don't know the full extent because China has the most closed press in the world. That's it's right. the number one jailer of journalists in the world. So if you're getting Chinese news, you're probably getting it filtered through their propaganda. There's maybe a couple outlets that have a little bit of access. Bloomberg included. Right. Uh, but for the most part, we're getting a sanitized version of what's happening in China. 
which is partially how they've, they've hoodwinked so many of us. Um, but yes, we've looked through the history of it. And if you go back, and I, I went back for a whole decade and looked at the way Bloomberg has dealt with China, and you see things like their former editor-in-chief literally referring to them as Nazis, not figuratively, right. literally referring to them as Nazis, and still cautioning their newsroom to not make the Nazis feel judged because they don't want to get thrown out of the country. They don't want to lose access to the Chinese market. So, so don't judge the Nazis. We know they're Nazis, but don't judge them. Uh, and there's a history, and, and I'm sure you're aware of some of it. I don't want to get too granular because I want people to check out the book. Uh, but there have been cases that have been publicized in the past of Bloomberg either slow rolling or shutting down investigations into top Chinese people. And then we've seen the obsequiousness, and I don't use that word lightly, that Bloomberg has had towards Xi Jinping and the Chinese. Uh, Bloomberg was actually mocked at one point. He gave a speech in Singapore where he praised the Chinese uh, ministers to such a degree they actually made fun of him as blowing smoke because he had gone too far with his kind words for China. So wow. uh, he's a brazen butt kisser uh, at a minimum. But here's the thing, we laugh about it, and that's partially because but I'm from the true. Andrew Breitbart school. Yeah. Yeah, but but it, it's darker than that. It's very, this is very bad. This is someone who is putting uh, his own business and even the Chinese business ahead of, of America and our values. It's really remarkable. You know, there are a lot of people who've come on my show in the last year who were part of the group that list, lifted MFN, Most Favored Nation Status, which gave America an annual chance to review whether we should give trading privileges to China. They got rid of it in the late 90s. And many of the people that I brought on the show who were involved in that, Newt Gingrich himself included, say, you know, I think we made a mistake. We took the one leverage we had over China and we took it away and they've been taking advantage of us ever since. So there's interesting that people that even felt like it was a good idea that maybe we would make them more democratic by opening up our markets now realize it hasn't hasn't worked the way that we that we want it. Uh, beyond China, there's so many other amazing things in this book. And uh, one of the ones I like, because I, I spent a lot of time studying George Soros and how he built his $1.6 billion a year uh, political juggernaut. And it's very impressive. It's a, an amazing institution that every every project has an ROI, whether they're electing Democratic prosecutors like the one in St. Louis or, or doing other things. You think you've identified the big tech heiress who's going to be the new Soros. And I was really, really excited by this. So tell us a little bit about her, what you learned about her, and what her ambitions are. Yeah, this was another one of the biggest revelations of the book, which is uh, Lorraine Powell Jobs, who is the widow of Steve Steve, Jobs. And uh, yeah, and and, uh, she's framed by our media as a philanthropist and as a woman in tech. But actually, that's not necessarily what it is. She's an heiress who uh, went to establishment schools and worked establishment jobs and married very well and inherited a bunch of money uh, when Steve Jobs died very young. And she gets her money from the biggest corporations in the world, Disney and Apple. Uh, Because remember, when uh, Steve Jobs was on hiatus from Apple, he uh, also invented Pixar. He created Pixar. So, So for a pretty amazing guy, but her pockets are as deep as they get. And she's She's devised this thing, this plan, which is, I have to say, like Soros, it's fairly genius what she's done. She's created through this thing called the Emerson Collective, right. a hybrid of philanthropy and investing, which, if that sounds confusing, I think that's the whole point. So basically, she sinks money into stuff, and if, it, if she has an ROI, it becomes investing. If she doesn't have an ROI, you call it philanthropy, and Bob's your uncle. And that's sort of the approach. And the board is loaded with Obama uh, officials, and they donate almost exclusively to Democrats. Uh, but what, where the Emerson Collective sinks their money is all throughout the Democrat apparatus. 
starting from the prestige media. So the Emerson Collective owns the Atlantic, glossy, old, founded by Ralph Waldo Emerson, um, respectable in some circles. Uh, they also are the, are the top shareholder of Axios, which is a, a Beltway-centric blog, moves sure. very quick, pretty popular. Um, but then they also fund more activist media, Mother Jones, ProPublica. These are places that get good scoops, but they're clearly on the left. But then most nefarious is this thing called Acronym, where Acronym funds this thing called Courier Newsroom, which is a, a really a propaganda operation that's designed to filter fake news, actual fake news, uh, which are Democrat talking points, into local news. Wow. And it's a, I have more detail on it in the book. Um, and then also, it all works synergistically. The same characters appear in each of the different uh, types of outlets. You'll see the same people played up or attacked in all these outlets. Hmm. So there's clearly some level of networking yeah. that's going on. Uniformity of it's message, yeah. Uniformity of message. And it is all kind of um, directed for the specific outlet. Like it funds Now This. There's a partnership with Now This, which is a more um, millennial-focused, pop culture political thing online that's designed for younger people. But the message is the same as The Atlantic. It's just hitting a different audience. Uh, and not to mention Jobs has made hundreds and hundreds of donations personally to Democrats, including she's seen as a close personal friend uh, of Kamala Harris. They have close ties. Uh, the Atlantic barely fell short of endorsing Harris. I mean, I cite some of the passages that they write uh, glowingly about Harris during the campaign. It, it will make you wretch. It's so hilarious. It's so hilariously horrible. Uh, and so she's concocted all this. And yet no one really knows who she is, which is why she got named the least transparent mega giver in the world a couple of years ago. And that's exactly what she is. And she needs to be exposed. This is one of the puppet masters, one of the oligarchs running America right now. And she's completely unknown, even to some of the smartest people I know. It's remarkable. Yeah, she has been stealth, but uh, in her uh, below the radar approach, though not stealth in terms of her impact, the impact is enormous. I, I thought you did a fantastic job bringing her to life and showing the intra-network uh, intra that she has created and, and how it creates a similarity of message. And I think that that's one of the key things that, you know, Soros did early on. He created the new talking points for the new left. And, and you know, he moved the media from illegal immigrant, or excuse me, illegal alien to illegal immigrant, legal immigrant to uh, undocumented worker, undocumented worker to dreamer over right. a 20-year period. Sure. And you right. see now that she's doing similar things in, in these venues, particularly focused on young people, new generation readers, right? Millennials. You mentioned uh, News Now. It's a very young um, news outlet and uh, has a very young yeah. audience, very, very targeted, really great journalism there. I, I thought you, you did a great job. I'm really interested so in January 2021 and the, the purge of conservatives from the Internet, because I think you've done you've put it together in a systemic, factual way that no one else had. We all felt it. We all saw it. But your you, the breadth of it and the swiftness of it and the long term consequences of it are so well highlighted in this book. Talk about January 2021 and the great media purge in America. Yeah, I did have the benefit of uh, I, I really hunkered down when this had happened and I tried to write this as quickly as I could. I really tried to take a, 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 a I tried to be really methodical about my writing, John, so I could get the book done. But this was one that I wrote in, in a fever because this section of the book. Um, because it confirms so many of the things we had been predicting at Breitbart, that what the masters of the universe, these tech oligarchs in yep. Silicon Valley, uh, what they would do when they had the perfect moment to do it. 
and they saw January 6th, which was the lowest moment of Trump's presidency. It, and I say this as someone who thinks the media wildly exaggerated everything that happened that day. Uh, but that said, it was still, I think, the worst day of the Trump presidency as a Trump fan and someone who wanted him to win uh, very badly. I still think it was the worst day uh, for his presidency. And the, they seized on this so quickly with Twitter and Facebook, purging people, purging content uh, in one fell swoop. Google, of course, had long since started to block content that was negative to Biden and pro-Trump. And even Amazon getting in the mix where they had booted off uh, uh, Parler from their servers, right. which is very significant because this should put to bed once and for all the notion that all conservatives need to do is build their own Apple or build their own Twitter. Right. Well, well, conservatives did build their own Twitter, and Amazon cut it off. So it just shows you clearly that's not enough of the answer to it. No, you got to have um, the infrastructure. you got to own the infrastructure, or it doesn't matter what the product is. Uh, absolutely. I think Karl Marx taught me that. i gotta, I got to own the means of production, right? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> hey, that's absolutely hey, I, right. I, I went to Berkeley. I, I learned a thing or two while I was there. Um, <laughs> but I... I, I Pose January 6th and the reaction to it, which was just unbelievably ruthless by the masters of the universe in Silicon Valley, and such an exaggeration of what was appropriate. I mean, the idea that they would cut off a president of the United States, yeah. uh, the, the idea that they would do that is so unfathomable. But to me, what was more shocking is how they banned so many of his supporters. I think I lost about 40% of my Twitter followers uh, that day. Wow. And they did this all. It was a shock and awe approach, and they thought they could get away with it, and by and large, they did. Yep. But I also have some very tough love for Republicans in this section who I think did not do a good enough job during the Trump years in taking on these people. Uh, this was, a, I think, an inevitable end to what was building and building during the Trump years from Silicon Valley. I think I make that case uh, pretty thoroughly. You look at 17 and 18 and the missed opportunities that a GOP Senate and a GOP House, particularly under Paul Ryan, had. They could have broke up these oligarchies before they got stronger and before they exercised censorship. They could have you know, really addressed immigration. They, they squandered a two-year period, and it gave rise to the 2018 election of the Democrats. Uh, I think you're really on to it. I think that there's an authenticity to the book because you know you you give everybody their fair their fair desserts when they when they they let us down. The book is very clear about that. I'm going to tease one that I'm not going to ask you to give away because it's just so good. But this ought to become an annual event now. But you have the fake news hall of fame. I'm not going to ask you to give any of the stories <laughs> away. Everybody should go read that. Uh, there's some of my favorites in there. Some I had not known about that you did a great job, but maybe we ought to create a real hall of fame and have an annual induction ceremony. I, I might join you on that. That might be a fun project for us to do. It'd be fun. Uh, John, I would love it. Let, let's create a whole award show. You know, I, I, this section of the book is some of the ones that people really love to read. You think you knew the stories of like the Russia collusion hoax, uh, but it, when I lay it out and, and it really looks so conspiratorial and some of it so absurd. I, and I, people are having a really good time reading that. I, I will give you one that connects to Lorraine Powell Jobs. Uh, I think the single fakest news item of the 2020 election cycle was the suckers and losers hoax that came out of the Atlantic, which was timed specifically to interrupt a great news cycle for Donald Trump. And I go through method, methodologically, uh, and it, I show that there were no on-record sources that confirm that story that Trump called dead marine suckers and losers or, or dead war heroes suckers right. and losers uh, and there's countless name sources that refute it 
And this overwhelmed the good news cycle for Trump. And it all came from Lorene Powell Jobs' outlet, The Atlantic. Unreal. Uh, brilliant piece of work. And I remember that day when it first came out. I mean, even people who didn't like Trump inside the Trump administration, like, you know what? I was there. It didn't happen. Man. It just didn't happen. And and yet the media went with it. And you go through so many of these. I mean, the media's record, uh, the traditional media's record of accuracy over the last five years, starting when Trump was thinking of running through to today, it's the worst era in American journalism. It makes the era of yellow journalism look like it was a pretty decent era. So many bogus stories day in and day out and no consequence to it. They just move on and leave the rum rummage behind. You've done a great job uh, putting this in there. I want to go to one last um, thing because I, I thought this was, uh, what's great about this book is it's unbelievably fresh. You have things that happened just a few weeks and months ago. And I think the way you look at the coronavirus is so Fascinating. I think you called it God's gift to the left, but uh, the coronavirus coverage and the, you know, we, this week we, you know, with Devin Nunez's new report, we get more visibility that all along the intelligence committee thought the lab leak was a likely thing. And yet the media spent all last year working with the government intelligence committee to poo poo the idea. You have a really great um, section on coronavirus as a, uh, a ideological weapon and describe, uh, describe what you found out. I, I really enjoyed this section a lot. Yeah, thank you. And this is a really tough section to write because you don't want to put out any faulty science. I'm not a scientist, right. but uh, I, I'm married to one and I've got other scientists in my family. And I, I was getting information from them and I want to keep them out of it for the most part, but I was getting actual information from people who were on the front lines fighting the coronavirus. And it had nothing to do with what I was hearing from the establishment media. And it actually very little to do from what I was hearing from the, the public health officials who were in charge of the messaging. And you start putting two and two together and you start realizing no one really gave us the data or the studies to back up the way we were behaving. Yeah. And when it seemed like the science was uh, confirming we were doing the exact wrong thing, we kept going headlong in that direction. And the theory I put forth, and I argued over 30 pages or so, so people are going to have to have to read the book to get it, uh, that it was about promoting uh, this sort of bummer mentality that America stinks and it's all Trump's fault. It's yep. the Trump virus, and we need this is a way for us to bludgeon Trump as an incompetent leader. And once they saw that as a narrative, uh, that the establishment media went into it, and sadly, Trump played into it a bit with those horrible press conferences where he would take all those questions from a Beltway journalist, which yep. was insane to me that he did that. Yeah. And he gave um, him a foreign every day to grandstand, and, and he never got any fair coverage from it anyways. Yeah. It was very sad. Uh, but yeah, but, but you're, you're right on this. And I think people will find the perspective very interesting because I raise all these questions that are basic questions that the Fauci's of the world have never answered. And I believe that's on purpose that they never answered them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think in um, in one of the uh, in our interview with Devin Nunez this morning, he said Fauci hasn't answered the most basic question that we you would expect the chief of the pandemic would be able to answer, which is where did the virus come from? How did it start? Um, sure, re remarkable that we we live through that. And again, the media is complicit in that. And I think you've done just a fantastic job, Alex. How do folks uh, follow you uh, beyond obviously going to Breitbart, which is an easy place to do, but and going to the radio show every day? How do they follow you on social media? Oh, thank you for, for the plugs, and I'm, I'm happy to plug away. Of course, getting the book now in whatever form you want to get it. They expect me to sell a lot of these things for some reason. So Imagine that. Yeah, capitalism at work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was thinking about it. I was uh, talking on my radio show today. 
if only I was as good of a book salesman as the socialist Bernie Sanders, then I would be in great shape. You'd be in great shape. That guy can sell some books. He sure can. Um, But if you go to alexmarlow.com, you can click on all of my social pages, give me a follow. Uh, But most importantly, the front page of Breitbart.com, it's my favorite source of news. I happen to edit it, so I'm biased, but it is my favorite. And um, I hope people go over there. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Most of them probably already do. And that's an important, important thing. Well, listen, this is a fantastic book, folks. If you haven't got it, this is the thing you should add to your collection right now. Great Father's Day gift. Uh, if you forgot your mother, Mother's Day is not too late to go back and get her something. Breaking the news, exposing the establishment media's hidden deals and secret corruption meticulously documented. It will open your eyes. I know a lot of us are already distrustful of the media, but here you have real fodder to understand how the media got to be the way it is. Great reporting. Alex, we're so proud to have you on the show and congratulations on a great book. John, the praise coming from you means the world to me. And um, I mean that uh, sincerely. Uh, It's a mutual admiration society then. So that's good. Really great. All right. We'll try to get you back on soon, maybe in a couple of weeks and uh, see how the book's going. I would love to have you back. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, John. Thanks, Alex. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we are going to go to the economy. We've got a great interview from our good friends at Birch Gold Group and talking about some of the inflation signs and other signs in the economy that have me and others worried. We're going to walk you through some of the best ideas, thoughts, explanations. We'll have that here in just a second. Until then. Have a word from our great sponsors and advertisers who make this show and just the news possible. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. All right, folks. Welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest. This week, we've been talking a lot about the economy. You guys have been asking lots of questions on Twitter. And so we're trying to get you some of the best and brightest people who can explain what's going on, the dynamics, answer your worries, answers your questions. And so we have this incredible resource. We have a partnership with Precious, um, with Birch Gold Group, one of the great precious metal groups in America. They're a sponsor and full disclosure here, but they also have these extraordinary uh, experts. And so we want to bring one of those guys back. Uh, Philip Patrick was on this show a couple months ago. We loved having him on. And so we've asked him to come back on and describe a little bit about what's going on in the economy, what to look for, and he brings a unique perspective because he's a precious metal specialist. Philip, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's an honor to have you. And uh, you helped us make sense of an awful lot of things last time. And so I want to kind of get started at uh, where a lot of people are, the question of where interest rates are going to be. So at the last Federal Reserve meeting, the chairman, uh, Jerome Powell, reiterated that he expects interest rates to remain near zero for the foreseeable future. What do you think about that? Okay, I, it, it rings true uh, to me, certainly for, 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 for a number of different reasons, right? I would say they have to keep interest rates low today, firstly, to motivate people to, to spend and to invest and essentially to keep the economy going, right? Low interest rates encourage people to take money out of savings and to invest that money, 
right? Uh, put that money in the stock market, the bond market, and essentially keep things moving. So I think it's a necessity to some degree for that reason. Now, the biggest reason in my mind that they have to keep rates low is debt, right? right. U.S. national debt today is approaching almost $30 trillion, right? Which is just about manageable in this climate because interest rates are so low. Right. If we look at the average rate of interest on our federal debt over the last 30 years, it's been closer to 5%. If rates were to creep back to that level, the interest payments on our debt annually would become untenable in relation to, to tax revenue. So in my mind, they really do have to keep rates low. I don't think they have many options. Wow, that's a scary scenario. In fact, I think um, we had the economist Steve Moore on here the other day, and he said for every one point that interest rates go up, uh, there's a trillion dollars of debt service a year. Just that's almost mind-boggling to think about that. Really, really a remarkable number that he he calculated from the from the current debt. Now, what are the long-term effects of having these low interest rates? We've had we've been blessed with them for a long time. That's why people are refinancing, buying houses. Uh, what are the long-term effects of continuing to have uh, low interest rates? Look, I think the big concern on everybody's mind today is inflation, right? Yeah. And that is one of the the long-term effects of low interest rates. Interest rates and inflation tend to work in opposite directions. Um, the current interest rate environment, coupled with monetary policy over the last 12 years, I think have created big and very warranted uh, inflation concerns. Um, the last 12 years has really been characterized by, as I mentioned, low interest rates printing huge amounts of money, which you cannot do without long-term consequences, yeah. right? There's a, a guy called Alan Meltzer, and Alan Meltzer was a Federal Reserve scholar at Carnegie Mellon, and he summarized this very well. He said, look, never in history has a country that financed big budget deficits with large amounts of central bank money avoided incredibly high levels of inflation. So to some degree, mm. it's unavoidable. Now, what that does, though, if it puts the government in a very tough situation, right? Because how does the government combat inflation? We raise rates, right? Raising rates tends to curb inflation. But as we mentioned earlier, the government's ability to raise yes. rates is somewhat limited in this climate because of the debt. So it's yeah. a sticky situation. We're really caught in a catch-22. Uh, catch so if inflation starts uh, to pick up, and I think we're already seeing signs of it, I've, I've gone to the a gas station, the last two, three times, it's been over $3 a gallon. It was about $2 a gallon yeah. in January. I, I, the most amazing thing I did, I went to uh, the hardware store this week, and I bought the same board of wood I bought back in December. I needed a few more pieces of it. I would paid $8 for the uh, the board back in December, and it was $14 last weekend. Yeah. So you can see early signs of that inflation. Obviously, the new statistics came out showing a 4% growth in inflation this year, which scares people. In that scenario, what would someone do to ensure that they can continue uh, the growth of their savings and make sure that they're saving more than the rate of inflation? Uh, what, what Are stocks a good option? Where would you go in that environment? Are stocks a good option? Look, historically, stocks are a very good option, right? If you look over long periods of time, the stock market combats inflation and much, much more. 
but that doesn't mean that there are not issues there short of that, right? The other thing you notice about the stock market, it's a cyclical animal, right? It grows aggressively, but we tend to suffer crashes and corrections almost as a rule in seven to 10 year cycles, right? 08, 2000, et cetera, et cetera. We're currently two and a half years into the longest bull run in recorded history. Right. So timing is suggesting that we might have a correction on the horizon. Now, uh, the numbers don't look good either. Price-to-earning ratios, as an example, today, second highest ever seen in history. They have never been at this level without us suffering a close to 50% correction in the stock market. So Mm. as good as the stock market is at hedging inflation longer term, if we were to see a sizable correction shorter term, it will struggle to do so for the foreseeable future. Yeah, no, that's, uh, we began talking about that the last time we're together, and it's funny now, I've been talking yeah. to other economists who are saying the exact same thing. They see this uh, th- this inflated value, and it scares the living dickens out of them. So a lot of times, that the, my first instinct is, well, then you go more conservative in your in your investment portfolio. What about bonds? Is there any refuge there? Is that a smart place to go? Look, there used to be the refuge, right? When you, when you were concerned about the stock market, the old way of doing right. it, you position heavily in bonds, we've mentioned a couple of things already that make that problematic today, right? Number one, the lowest rates of interest in recorded history, right? I think a a 10-year government treasury today is paying maybe one and a half percent. Well, the CPI puts inflation at higher than that today, right? right? So when you have low interest rates coupled with high inflation and rising inflation, bonds become, well, they struggle to keep pace with inflation. Yeah, basically, you're making less on the bond than the increasing cost of your living is, and, and that, that that's not sustainable very long term. Yeah. Correct. Uh, so if inflation is predicted to rise, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. no, no, that's it. That's it. So uh, obviously, with, with uh, Birch Gold Group, you guys deal in precious metals, particularly gold and silver, which are one of my favorites in, in the portfolio. Uh, what about gold and silver? Is this a good time? Should our listeners be thinking about that in this environment? Where does it fit in the overall picture? Look, I think they're very conducive for, for this sort of climate, right? They're safe haven assets, but they tend to perform well during tough times. Uh, specifically, if you look at the nature of our issues, right, we have potential stock market corrections on the horizon. Well, guess what? When stocks come down, people flood towards safe haven assets, right? In 2008, gold and silver doubled in, in 18 months of that crash. Right. Um, when inflation rises, right? We all know what inflation is. It's things getting more expensive over time. The technical definition of it is the rising cost of commodities and services over time. Well, guess what? Like your lumber, right? Gold and silver are also commodities. And as inflation rises, they move to keep pace with it. So they're very conducive to the specific issues on our horizon. So yes, I think they work very well today. Yeah, that's that's. I'm talking to a lot of people who've been uh, encouraging that, and I, I think when you you look at it, like I said, low interest rates, increasing inflation, the ability not to use interest rates, perhaps it's not an attractive ability for the government to deal with inflation. So what you got to do is find a commodity that can keep pace with with the uh, the rising cost of uh, of a product, and it seems like that's a great place to go. Now, 
one of the places that I, until I met you guys, until I met the great folks at Birch Gold Group, I didn't know this, but there is the ability to take some of your 401k and qualified IRAs and actually invest them in gold and silver. Um, is there a way in this environment for some some of our listeners or every, you know everyday people to move some of the retirement into precious metals? How does that work? The answer is absolutely yes. It is clearly defined under IRS tax code. And it's very simple. We can facilitate everything, just to be very clear. But um, your, your listeners have the opportunity to roll over any portion of any IRA that they have, no tax implications or penalties. And we can place physical, tangible precious metals tax deferred within those IRAs. Uh, we have a lot of specialists here that are here to help. So your listeners feel free to call us and we can help guide them through. Um, yeah, so it's very simple. Yeah, it is very simple. And I, 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 got, I took advantage of the, the free booklet that you guys had and really just got me. I literally, I've been doing this for years. I've had a 401k and IRA for years and I didn't know that you can do this. And I think in this uh, time here, this is a really great option for people to study up on, talk to their financial advisors. Uh, it's a good, safe way. And I think we're headed into an unusual period of the economy. And so I think uh, this is an option we, we I'd love to educate people about. So birchgold.com, that's B-I-R-C-H gold.com slash just news. All the details are there. I, I did it. And as I said, these guys are a sponsor, but they're also experts. And so it's wonderful. Philip, any parting thoughts as you as you look out? What's the, what are some of the things for the next four to five months that our listeners, our readers should be watching on the economy and reacting to? Look, I think listening to shows like yours is going to put them one step ahead of the game, right? Because I think the key here is being informed, right? Not burying our head in the sands and right. ignoring what's happening, but really understanding. And then from there, all I would say is as much as possible, try to be preemptive, right? Don't wait and wait and wait and react. Yep. But just try and be preemptive and don't panic, right? There's nothing to fear as long as you understand where things are heading. You're preemptive, a little bit defensive. We can get through this thing just fine. Uh, early information, early action, a great way to solve uh, any problem, particularly when you're preparing for your retirement or, or for your ec economic uh, interest. Philip, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. You, ha you make everything so simple to understand. A lot of people, they start talking about the economy, they get scared, like, I don't understand this, but you really boil it down into the, the very simple things that we just need to do. And I'm so grateful. We're going to try to bring you on to the show every couple months, a uh, couple months, because it's really helpful. People really gained a lot from that last conversation. I know they're going to gain a lot from today. So hopefully we can continue to tap your expertise as we go forward. I, I would love that. It's a genuine honor. So thank you for having me, John. All right, folks, all you need to do, if you want to find out more about your options in retirement and uh, putting gold and silver into your portfolio, you go to birchgold.com. That's B-I-R-C-H gold.com slash just news. Set up a special site for John Solomon reports and just the news listeners. You can download the basic information and learn about it. I did it. It's unbelievable. Really important important way to learn and get yourself informed on such a valuable thing. All right, folks, we're going to go to quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And what a great show. I'm not going to do this often. Three guests is a lot, but these were bombshell. Great guests. Alex Marlowe, his book, really, really an important read. I'm so glad you got to listen to the Devin Nunez interview that my good colleague, Sophie Mann did uh, a very, very important interview. Lots of uh, important insights about the effort to suppress the possibility that the COVID-19 virus emanated from a lab that got U.S. funding in Wuhan, China. Very important to understand how much the story's evolved. It's evolved as much here as the Russia collusion case did over three years in, in uh, the, the, during the Trump presidency. Very important uh, uh, moment of uh, stuff. So glad our friends at uh, Birch Gold Group could join us as well. Uh, great uh, insights from Phil. All the things that he brought to light to us today are fantastic. We need to stay on top of it. Uh, if you're worried about the economy, I thought he helped explain why inflation is where it is, why we're having the uh, the gap in employment. Very important economic efforts, uh, uh, facts, thoughts, dynamics that we should be watching. Listen, you're all going to make up your own mind about investing. And like I said, Birch Gold Group is one of our advertisers. They're fantastic people, but they also have expertise outside of their product. And that's why we occasionally bring them on this show. They help us understand the economy, much like Steve Moore did earlier this week. I think you heard a lot of similarities and different um, uh, points that, uh, that are complementary when you heard what Steve Moore had to say, uh, what we talked about today. Very important insights. I hope you enjoy that. Hope you have a wonderful, blessed night when we are uh, back tomorrow. We'll have some new news on Friday, some breaking news, some new guests. Uh, tune in again tomorrow for the weekend edition, the final edition Friday into the weekend. We'll be there to, uh, to break some more news and to give you some new insights. Until then, God bless you. God bless this incredible country, the United States of America, as he always has, of course. Have a great night. God bless. God send. We'll see you tomorrow.